from the 809 Restaurant and Lounge in the heart of Inwood, New York City. Welcome to Inwood Artworks On Air. It's where we meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes who make their home in what we affectionately call upstate Manhattan. I'm Aaron Sims. And I'm Jonathan Bell. And this is Live and Local. It's our podcast dedicated to showcasing the musicians of Upper Manhattan. We talk with them about what they do, and best of all, listen to them perform live in one of our favorite local venues. Who's joining us today, Jonathan? Aaron, today we welcome Inwood resident and the director of both Tycoza and East Winds Ensemble, Marco Leinhardt. Marco lived and performed in Japan for 18 years as a member of the legendary Taiko group Undekoza under director Takeyasuden, who initiated the renaissance of Taiko. In Undekoza, he mastered the Taiko, the Shinobue, the No Flute, and the Shakuhachi under Katsuya Yokoyama. He performs and teaches internationally and has taught at international percussion workshops and festivals. He has performed as a soloist at Carnegie Hall, Suntory Hall, Osaka Festival Hall, Madison Square Garden, Tchaikovsky Hall, and International Performing Center in Moscow, among others. His music has been nominated five times for the, quote, Just Plain Folks Awards, end quote, in 2014 and in 2019 for Best Song and Best Album for Instrumental and Asian Music. He has recently released two CDs of his compositions with Tycoza Voice of the Earth and Tree Spirit. We are incredibly thrilled to have him today on Live and Local. Without further ado, Marco Leinhardt. Oh! <laughs> 
Marco, you're such a pro. That was outstanding. Thank you so much for being here today. It's so great to see you in person. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Uh, Glad to be here. Could you tell us, uh, please, what you just played for us? So on the taiko, usually with taiko you have several people playing together, but for the last, uh, from March till September, I've been playing on the roof. So that was sort of inspiration of, you know, some of the songs I was playing and <coughs> trying to sort of bring the spirit up from the roof up uh, in my neighborhood, up in uh, around 215th Street, around Eichmann Park. And so it's inspired from a song called uh, Beginnings that I composed uh, a while ago. And it was based on sort of the, the joy that the gods would have when they discovered what, what they had created. And it was kind of a joyful uh, piece. And then the, the longer flute is a piece that I composed also that is, um, it's called a poem up to the bamboo. And it was originally played for a Japanese flute and a Chinese flute. And it was sort of a dialogue between uh, two bamboo flutes from uh, different uh, cultures. And then the third one is kind of a, Inspiration um, inspired from uh, two folk songs from uh, Kyushu in, in Japan, so the southwest part of Japan, and sort of a lullaby from a, um, a prefecture called Kumamoto, and so that I sort of arranged it a little bit. That was on the shorter flute, the shakuhachi. Okay, I was going to ask you yeah. that right now. So the, could you... Recap once more what the names of the two flutes are, the lower so and higher. Actually, they, they both have the same name. Okay. So they are Shakuhachi. Okay. And uh, the, the shorter one is actually the standard one that most people play. Okay. And the longer flute is about a foot longer. It's uh, 2.7 feet. Shakuhachi means 1.8, 1 foot 8. That's <laughs> what the word Shakuhachi means in Japanese. But... Huh. They're both called shakuhachi. They're just like what you call a base shakuhachi. Okay. Oh well. First of all, just before I ask you any questions, just in, it's so amazing to have someone with such a deep commitment and mastery um, to a tradition like this. This is definitely a unique experience here on Live and Local. Um, I had a few um, questions um, about technique, and this is coming from a place of just complete non-familiarity for the most part but i wanted first to ask you about um one's a little specific and i wanted to know about vibrato technique on the flutes i notice you know some movement with your head um and i'm just wondering what that's about and like the aesthetics and maybe the actual production of it and how you go about and what what maybe maybe even more the 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 aesthetic specifically and the vibrato um and, the, and i'm comparing it to actually other wind sorry I, I'm, I'm thinking right now of other wind uh, instruments in the western tradition and vibrato so i was just wondering yes. yeah. i mean most uh, wind instruments around the world i mean people use the vibrato from the sternum or usually sort of like a <clears throat> changing the the intensity of the air and that can be used at times too, but what is unique to the shakuhachi is that though it has only five holes, you cover half of the openings to, to get all the different uh, half tones. And, and also the, the vibrato is done by sort of sh shaking your head, sort mm -hmm. of doing a little sort of nod, but really fast. And I mean, there's eight a triangular, or there's all different uh, shapes and you get all kinds of different vibratos. 
I mean, you can do a slower one or ending with a, a faster uh, ending a little bit. What would you, you would do with your voice, I guess, a little bit. But you have to do that physically with your head okay. to recreate that. So that is really the one of the hard part of the instrument. And then so the half tones also are very difficult. And I think it is one of the most challenging instruments in Japan. And uh, so not only because it has just five holes, but also the mouthpiece doesn't have, it's fairly large. So it, just imagine like a tube with a, a sharp sort of edge. And you have mm -hmm. to sort of blow on the other side. And you have to cover with the, the lower lip okay. uh, the, the part that's open in front of you and, and blow on the other edge. Because yeah. there's no reed. <laughs> right. There's no reed. <laughs> I mean, there's a sharp edge, which makes it a little easier to play, but right. imagine just playing a, a huge bottle huh. and trying to get a sound. Wow. So is the, um, also, is the, uh, are the, I noticed that both of the songs happen to be in kind of minor modes, it sounded to me. Yes. W one sounded a little bit more almost like a melodic, I had sort of a, uh, the first one had almost had a leading tone sound to it, and the other one was more of like a natural minor. And I'm just wondering, is the construction of the flute have to do with mm. the mode or? Mm, or? Actually, uh, the, the flute is made in a major key. Oh. But mm -hmm. um, as yeah. most Japanese things like Zen Buddhists, you know, you try to make it as hard as possible. <laughs> And not giving you the, the instrument that may, would make it easier to just play it in, in minor keys. But it's a major instrument. So basically you have D, F, G, A, C. Those are the basic notes. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you, I mean, actually most of the traditional songs are all in minor. Mm -hmm. You have a few folk songs that use those five basic notes. There are a few mm -hmm. uh, folk um, songs that you'll find in Japan. And, but otherwise, most of the music is written to make it harder on yourself to, to play the instrument. Of course, nothing can come easy. Interesting. Okay, and you wrote, you said, you wrote the... Well, the uh, first <coughs> song I, I wrote, the other is sort of a, a theme that exists, and then I played around with it. Okay. So the, the songs that I tend to, to compose, I noticed that, because I come back from, uh, I originally from Switzerland, and mm -hmm. I did piano, I did uh, sideblown flute, silver flute, and I love sort of Bach, the Baroque. My father was an opera singer. Mm. But I sort of tend to, when I compose, end up to sort of kind of almost Baroque modes or... <laughs> that, <coughs> that first one we yes, were talking yeah. about. I, I thought I had a... Oh, I was wondering about that. And the, yeah. the harmonies as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when there's the two flutes playing together, it's... Mm -hmm. And then the second one was a, 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 it was an elaboration on a folk song, you're saying? <laughs> Correct, yes. It's a lullaby and it's just... Um, <clears throat> that is, I mean, it's the basic uh, Japanese sort of a uh, tuning, and then sort of playing along with those. Okay. That's a uh, tuning. And um, rhythmically, I mean, again, this is a very general impression. It sounded like a sequence of unmetered phrases, and I'm wondering, is there any rhythmic system involved here, well, or what's uh, going? There is. I mean, the lullabies usually have. It's usually two four, okay. and once in a while you have a three four or one four thrown in there. And but is it understood as that? Yeah. Oh. I mean, usually sure. people just clap, uh -huh. and then suddenly, you know, the next phrase will be on the up. Okay. Be, yeah. ah, mm -hmm. And then they come back to ah. Okay. All right. <laughs> so it goes up and down. So it's it's really interesting. I mean, it's not always two four, but you mm -hmm. know, it, it tends to change. And then for the taiko, you'll go into four, five four, and then suddenly the four four. And okay. 
it's, it's mostly phrases that are, are chanted or sung. So you right. teach them as a phrase, and then people learn it like that, and then they go to the drum and they, they sing so, uh, yeah, so they don't think too much about the two four. You know, I have to keep in in the in the measure in the in the tempo. Or, okay. But for the flute, you have some songs. If you play, for example, with a string instrument, you'll have the a set rhythm with ritornando. Uh, when you you sort of go a little slower mm -hmm. and you go faster, and so it's really uh, sort of feeling the other performer and playing together, knowing the song and mm. and flowing that way. For the shakwachi, a lot of the music, uh, for example, meditation music, doesn't have a a, um, a count. So your breath is sort of the, the length of your phrasing. Right. And so you knowing about the the length of your breath or how much you know notes you have to play, you sort of try to find out, you know, how much you can spend time on this phrasing and hold it, till have yes. enough to sort of hold it till you pass out yes. at the end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you try to, it's really very physical. I mean, a flute right. doesn't seem to be physical, but you use the abdominals, it's almost like a, a pump. So it's really very right. important to, in that way. And that is a concept sort of, it took me a little while when I, I went to Japan when I was uh, 17, 18, to sort of get into that mode and understand the phrasing mm -hmm. and also different sort of uh, tonalities. Mm. So basically you just first copy your teacher and you little by little assimilate, understand mm -hmm. the, the phrasing and as you play it over a hundred thousands time you finally understand sort of the how it's supposed to be played and the, the song sort of teaches itself to you. Right, so that that's kind of what I was curious about when that tradition that repertoire traditional repertoire was taught to you it wasn't presented to you with time signatures no that that was my main yes, I, yeah. I didn't think so i was just yeah right i see um one more thing i was i was um i think it was during the improvised one on the, the second piece um on the smaller shakuhachi yeah. Um, it reminded me of um, classical, well, very, very different in a lot of ways, but it kind of reminded me of classical Indian music in the way in which certain registers of the mode would be worked. Like you, there, and, and with a, with a raga, you, right, might, okay. you, you, you might spend a little time on an upper register and like three notes of the scale and really work it and all the combinations and then fall back down and I was wondering if your improvisations are at all structured in any way like that in terms of well not consciously no okay. I mean I'm, I'm not I, I, I'm familiar with uh, to a certain point Indian music but it has you know it's a different world and um, yeah of course you'd have to spend different lives <coughs> right. like a cat seven lives <laughs> for each culture but but uh, I mean it's just sort of playing around with you know the the, the basic melody and then just I, I've probably been influenced by, you know, East and West, so I don't mm -hmm. really analyze as much because as I, I was brought in Europe, I mean, we, we were taught to analyze everything. And then once I went to Japan, then no questions were encouraged. So you don't ask anything, you know, even if you ask, there's no usual answers. Mm -hmm. You have to figure it out on your own. So it, it just became more sort of 
learning from your teacher and trying to, to grasp as much as you could analyze and understand in a way. And, mm -hmm. and it felt like if I understand it intellectually, it's not going to help anyway. So mm -hmm. it's just, you, you just have to play it over and over and just feel it and mm -hmm. memorize the song and sort of understand and through your body rather than mentally. So I'm just going to follow up with that is that um, you went to Japan at 18, 17, 18, and you essentially unlearned what you had learned to learn this. So um, by essentially apprenticeship, you know, by, by mimicking from those who could teach it, handing it down, so to speak. So without that assurance, which um, is only the repetition, 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 what was the driving force that drove you to Taiko and all this? Well, I mean, uh, the taiko I brought here today is sort of a, a lighter okedo. I mean, the, the drums that you can see, sure. uh, usually they are larger. So th there's really that power. You even feel it more, yeah. like the vibration goes through you. Yeah. Like the shinobue, too. Like uh, the shinobue as well, yes. But, I mean, for that, it's just that, that feeling. And as you play it or listen to it, it just, I mean, it, it puts your, your body into sort of a, in a different state in a way. And, and for the flute also, what attracted me, I mean, I did play a little bit the, the silver flute. I heard the shakuachi and I was just taken by it and I just fell in love. It was an instant sort of love that really grabbed me and I just wanted to go as far as I could in the study of it and learning about it and try to, to go as, learn as much as I could during that time I was in Japan. I didn't really know how long I was going to be there. First it was supposed to be one exchange year. And then I, I made contact with this uh, Taiko group that um, lived sort of as a commune. And so I joined them for a couple of months. I thought I would just stay maybe six months. And that ended up being 18 years. Amazing. So what was your original exposure to the flute that fast you must have been a teenager, I guess. And, and how did that come about? Well, I, I started with the piano. I, I just like music melodies uh, mostly and and then so the piano was we had one at home my father sang opera and i i was attracted by classic the the the, the voices uh, but i just felt i wanted an instrument that i could go in the forest or travel and play and the piano wasn't it and so then I came across the flute. I, I love the pan flute. It had that more natural, sort of breathy feel to it. I tried to go to South America to learn, and during that exchange year, that didn't happen. But Japan was open, so I was able to go to Japan. And that's only when I discovered the shakuhachi. I didn't even know there were Until you that type of, of flutes, <laughs> bamboo flutes, in Japan. And once ah. I discovered it, I was like, wow. Okay. Perfect. <clears throat> you know, it just, I mean, it, it, to me, it went to a different level than the pan flutes or the kena. It was very different, but it had, again, that very natural mm. voice and um, abilities. The flutes, you were, everything was so controlled, like the purity and everything. And mm. everything sort of, it was almost constructed, but it was almost what flute players are trying to do later in their life once they achieve very... Mm. high technical sort of uh, uh, technique that they have, then they try to break everything. And then the shakuachi from a long time ago, from centuries ago, that is what they've been doing, you know, mm. sort of breaking the sound, or mm. just like right. making sort of imitation of the, the wind or yes. the, the sounds of nature. Yeah, there's a lot of ghost notes 
right? And I'm sure way, that's yeah. almost like an ornamentation that I would hear now and then that I, I can only assume is part of the technique. And, and then there's just like, you know, slight double fingering mm -hmm. that you barely hear right. or just like this kind of just color of that note that changes from just giving you the the note just as is. Just by having your finger just a slightly different place on that open <clears> hole. <throat> right. right. That's why a lot of flute players have the, the flutes with the holes so they can sort of control in a different way. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I'm curious how the pandemic has helped you discover more about your craft and also share it with others. Um, has Obviously, there's positives and negatives in running an, an arts organization during the pandemic. It's been horrible, right? It's been challenging. It's been challenging, yes, indeed. But um, if there's some silver linings, um, have you been able to, uh, using technology, attract students internationally? Because what you do is very unique. It's very niche. It's very unique. It's not like, I'm going to study the flute. It's not like, I'm going to pick up the drums. It's, it's, it's a very specific style of performance. Correct, yes. And so there are a number, I mean a very limited number of people who are interested in in it all over the world. And But I mean I've been playing it now for 30, 40 years so I sort of established my name fairly well enough that uh, when I have a CD you know there's, there's some interest and and now, I mean, it has changed a little bit that people now download or they have these free, like Spotify and things like that. So in a way, it's been a curse. And at the same time, it just allows you to be known to more people than you possibly could on your own. But um, I think through, through the, since March, I mean, I've been trying, I was right away, I was very, uh, Acute to try to do something and try to share it with the students. I know like students or children were stuck at home, but we had to sort of bring them culture as the government was not going to do anything. And I thought it's our role to educate these kids or anybody. And so I, I started making, I think the arts in education um, organization were very hands-on right away. Within a week, uh, they sort of got us together and we talked and tried to f figure things out. And so I've been doing like these three minutes videos that were shown in Baltimore, of all places, in TV, educational TV. They mm. call the Art Explosion. So I set up, you know, a little studio in my house. I bought the green <coughs> curtains and different <laughs> curtains, and then just set it up. I have a light like that, and so many different cameras, and you know, the camera that follows you when you wherever you go. It just <coughs> And microphones, and so I, and I tried to do, I did also um, some courses uh, online through Udemy, teaching the shakuhachi, uh, the, the taiko I've been teaching on, on online as well. And so people either play on their sofa or some have drums, and then so we listen to each other. You just have to get used because of the delay. So, you know, you just have to <coughs> ignore whatever's coming to you. Yeah. But otherwise, sort of, I, I've done a lot of videos as well at home, you know, and using the video that I had to make 40, you know, different lengths for uh, colleges. And the Westchester College, I think, uh, I was supposed to do something in April, and they were very, very kind and open, and they said, let's do it as a Zoom. And I, it was like a month, less than a month, it was just total panic. Tried to, to figure everything out, how it works. 
I would have my partner in another room with a laptop and say, can you hear me? <laughs> because Zoom, for some kind, they don't, they're not very uh, musician friendly. It's not. They turn off the sound, so you have to have a setting, and it doesn't explain, back in March, nobody really explained how you're supposed to set it up. Right. And then so finally I figured out, you know, when I played, it wouldn't just right. like, mute me. And so all these things, I mean, it was a challenging experience, but I think it was very rewarding in a way to, to f be able to overcome all these difficulties and mm -hmm. sort of pushing you to learn really quickly about all these, you know, software editing and making mm -hmm. videos. So, and then also I did actually a recording. I released a CD that I had some already music that was um, made and then some some uh, editor in Spain was interested. He saw my uh, Kickstarter and said, I would love to edit it, master it for you. And so mm. did that. And I had a student in Brazil who did my cover. And so it was sort of a worldwide uh, mm. <coughs> collaboration. So, it was so there's really some happy fun. accidents through this. There were, yes. Yeah, that's nice. It's really nice. I have one question about the Tycho. I was wondering how much are the movements are purely uh, ceremonial or functional from a visual perspective or theatrical <clears throat> and, and what is a sound producing movement? It seemed like there must be a combination somewhere. So the, the highs are fairly thick and so it takes uh, fairly somewhat some strength to get the, the drum really to sound well. Mm -hmm. And so of course you have, you, you need sort of a, a little more distance to, to be able to play and oh, okay. uh, each festival in Japan usually was linked to a Shinto temple and a festival but the way the drums were played was very different from from temple to, to temple so it changes and there's I think a great link with the folk traditions that exist there with the dances or the movements that are done in the fields or like fishermen you will see kind of more of that type of movements or like chopping wood yeah. and uh, so those are stylized movements of course and each festival usually has one or two rhythm usually not too difficult I mean so that everybody in the town can learn it within a month or two and it's a tradition that's passed on but then every every person who plays it wants to add to the other so through the centuries you know movements I think have gotten a little fancier and they want to do out outdo each other okay. and so to that level it has it doesn't always have, you know, <coughs> a real, real meaning to it. Mm -hmm. It's more sometimes a, a little flourish. Got it. Interesting. But sort of uh, one thing about, you know, the uh, one year here spending uh, mostly at home <coughs> and during the pandemic. But I, I experienced uh, sort of as a microcosm. We, we ran. I organized a run around the United States from 1990 to 93. And I ran uh, about 10,000 miles with a group of 13. And we, we performed along the way. We went from New York to Florida to New Orleans, uh, San Diego, all the way to uh, Seattle, Chicago, and New York. And that took us three years, running 30 to 40 miles a day. And sort of, you know, having that as a background, it gives you sort of a little willpower or you know you think you can you, you can overcome anything or you know something will come of it so always kind of stay on the positive <laughs> and be able to <clears throat> get through it <laughs> well i think we're all getting through it and um music is a positive language and i think like you said before um, 
if it reverberates inside of you, that's that's something to hold on to and and share that with someone else like you did today. Yeah. We're very grateful for that. So thank you again for being here today. Thank you very much. You, you mm -hmm. bet. Uh, so Marco, where could our listeners go to follow you and keep track of all that you do? So my name is a little complicated, but it's Marco Leanhard in one word dot com or Taikoza. So T-A-I-K-O-Z-A dot com and you can find all the music. And so you can also find those links uh, on my website to Spotify. So Spotify somehow is a little weird because they can't put uh, the same person together under a different name. So there's under Taikoza East Winds Ensemble or Marco Leanhardt and they're all separately uh, <coughs> listed. Hmm. And we'll be doing a concert in the park, in Aishan Park on June 6th, if the weather's okay. Uh, and if it rains the 13th, and also uh, East Winds Ensemble will do at Bruce's Garden, which is close to Aishan Park, on June 12th. So those are concerts we are setting up to do finally live <coughs> with distancing and sprays and... Well. You know what? Anything is positive. I mean, yes, I, I mean, and God bless you for trying to make it happen because uh, I, I sincerely hope that by June, uh, people It'll will be, be willing to be yeah, easier to go back out and, and, and gather in whichever small groups we can. Well, at least the, the drum is loud enough that people can hear it from <laughs> far and they can even stay in the building across you know, the, right. the garden and open the window and they'll hear a little bit of the sounds. <laughs> Marco, my, my two and a half year old son is, I'm sure, going to love it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Marco, thanks again for joining us today on this live and local episode of Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having uh, me. It's where we meet the musicians, writers, theater makers, artists of all kinds who make their home here in Upper Manhattan. If you have a moment, please show us some love right now by rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. Thank you so much to 809 Restaurant and Lounge for hosting us and not kicking us out with the drums. Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. Like, no, no one came off the street and thought we were beating anybody. It's pretty amazing. Uh, and, but we are on Dykeman Street, so essentially anything goes most of the time down here. Uh, you hear sirens, you hear anything. Uh, but thanks to HeightSites.com for local uptown promotional support. Be sure to follow us on Inwood Artworks to keep up with all that we do in our social media channels. Uh, we do the Inwood Film Festival, Filmworks Alfresco, pop-up art galleries, live performances, and so much more. You can support On Air and all of our programming by making a tax-free donation at inwoodartworks.nyc backslash donate. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council and in part by a grant from the NYC and Company Foundation with partial support from Manhattan Borough President Gail Brewer. From the top of Manhattan and the bottom of our hearts, Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Aaron Sims. I'm Jonathan Bell. For Inwood Artworks On Air.